Hello again, everyone. My name is David Bastall alongside ARIA President Stacey Evoy, and this is the Real Estate Edition podcast. On today's episode, we talk to two of the stars from the hit TV series, Hoarder House Flippers. Stacey chatting with Kiki and Ryan Carr were a lot of fun, and some of the tips that they talked about with us are very beneficial to most homeowners. Dave, not only that, the tips were beneficial to realtors too. When they talk about uh, low budget items you can do to renovate a house to get it ready for sale, realtors will sure find that information helpful. Yeah, a ton of information on this podcast coming up in a second. But before we get to that, be sure to subscribe, rate and review the Real Estate Edition podcast. And we thank you for doing so. Now here's our conversation with Kiki and Ryan Carr. You're listening to this month's episode of The Real Estate Edition with host David Bastel. We are really excited to have you on The Real Estate Edition podcast. Let's start off by introducing yourselves uh, and the show you're starring in, Hoarder House Flippers. Ryan and Kiki, uh, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. So a little bit of background on you, just just some of our listeners probably are familiar with the show, but maybe tell us a little bit about yourselves. Well, yeah, we're we're a married couple. We have been since 2013 and we started with our very first house that we bought together and we didn't intend it for it to be a flip. It turned into a flip. We decided that we love it and we kept going. (laughs) And uh, we live in a small town in Ontario with our cat and our dog, our fur kids. And uh, we try to keep a simple life, yet we're busy constantly. (laughs) That's awesome. Tell us about your background and your journey to where you are now. It kind of started with, with me. So like you said, we got married in 2013. Just prior to that, I was working as a mechanic. So uh, I was working nine to five doing real estate like evenings and weekends. And our first house was our, our primary residence. And just after we had closed on that, our realtor called us up and said, hey, you ever thought about buying a rental? And I was like, well, no, not really. And she goes, well, you know, come take a look at this property. You just have to trust me. I think it's a great opportunity. So I did uh, fast forward. We ended up selling that property and made a bunch of money. And we're like, hey, this is pretty good. And then I got laid off from my job. So when I got laid off from my job, Keek said, well, you know, this is amazing. What a great opportunity. You were good at real estate. Why don't you go and do that? So I thought, huh, all right. So when did a few more projects, um, it kind of snowballed from there. Then Key came on board and she was like, hey, this is pretty fun. Let's do some design work together. So that's kind of how the business got going. It, it certainly wasn't out of uh, having family in the business. It certainly wasn't out of, um, you know, a, a comfort zone thing or anything. It, it just kind of came organically and it was just a natural progression in our working career. And it translated to, uh, to getting into real estate when all those things happened. So when it comes to hoarder homes, what attracted you to buying them and what's the benefit? Well, when we first got into this industry, we realized that um, you could buy houses cheaper, the worse they looked. (laughs) And along the way, we kind of learned that whether you buy something that looks appealing uh, at first sight or something that looks disheveled, the work is still the same. You're still doing the drywall. You're still doing the paint. You're still doing the electrical and plumbing. So the way that it looked didn't actually affect the amount of work that you had to put in it other than cleaning it or you know removing debris or whatever. So there were still things that we had to do, whether it looked good or not upon purchase. 
And so we took that concept and decided to be able to buy houses cheaper and st- sell them inexpensively and still make the same amount of profit. Okay. So I, I, I don't want to give away the show because I know some of our listeners have already seen some of the episodes already and there's more to come as well. We'll talk about that in a bit. But one of the things I thought of when I was watching this is how do you, how do you see past the clutter? Because a lot of times, a lot of times when I'm watching this, I, I get anxious and it's, and I'm sitting on my couch and, and I go, how do you, how do you see past that clutter? How do you see the value uh, and, and the good bones, so to speak, of the house itself? Because you, you, it's almost uh. like you have to have that eye to almost evaluate what does it look like without this? We're so good at it now. We just, <laughs> we just walk into a place and we're like, we don't even, like, honestly, we don't even see the stuff. Like, we see it because it's clearly physically present. But we're like, okay, if we're looking behind the stuff, if we're looking with our nose, if we're, you know, if we're, if we're trying to see what it could be like, envision it without all of the belongings in there, we're just like, it, it's almost, it's almost invisible. And it sounds so crazy, but when we walk into these places and we see all of the stacks of newspaper and the dead cats and all the problems that we come across in these places, like, it's just, we're just like, great. We can't wait for a good before and after. That's really what we shoot for is let's see the before and after. We get excited. Um, the crazier something looks because we get to peel back and discover things. So it almost makes it more fun for us. It's interesting that you say it was giving you anxiety because yeah. We think like, oh, doesn't this just look normal to everybody else? Because it's so normal to us. <laughs> no, it doesn't, Kiki. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we have we have fun with it. And we actually had to learn to vocalize what we were seeing and experiencing because we've been doing it for so long that we could just zip around and not talk to each other and know exactly what we're doing. But like, there's yeah, now an yeah. audience. No, there's a bunch we- of stuff. Cool. <laughs> Next, so <laughs> no, you gotta, you gotta be able to tell, yeah. you gotta tell the audience that they can't read your mind. Yeah. <laughs> so very much what you guys do, realtors do it every day. It's just, you guys are doing it on an extreme level. So uh, for realtors, when we go into a property to have a look, it can go from one extreme to another. So I love hearing the vision that you have that, you know, it really is just stuff and it's to what it, what you know extremes is their stuff mm-hmm. i want to hear more about the process and so i'd love you to walk us through the process from beginning when you're first searching for a property what's the approach that you take uh when we're first searching for a property like when we're ready to buy it type of thing looking for one. Oh, looking for one yeah so i mean we find properties all over oftentimes it's it's word of mouth or online or social media. Uh, I would say 50% of the time it's on the MLS as well with an agent. Um, some of the episodes in the show were bought with a real estate agent and some of them were not. And I think the opportunity can come from all angles. Uh, I'm a big believer in supporting realtors, um, especially on the sales side, because I do genuinely believe that they can get the best value and the best dollar going to the open market. Um, obviously, there's lots of services out there where you can sell privately, but I do believe in supporting realtors, um, especially on the sales side and 50% on the buy side, because uh, sometimes the realtors don't have access to those word of mouth deals that uh, that other people do. That's great. Uh, what, if anything, would you consider to be a deal breaker when looking at an investment property? What are some common signs that you see that you look to stay away from? Hmm. I'm more on the finance side. So you know, in terms of math and, and dollars, it obviously has to make money. It has to be a profitable deal uh, to be able to go in and renovate and fix it up and carry it and then transact it. And of course, you know, 
pay commissions. It's, it's important. It's part of doing business uh, in our model. So uh, for us, it's, it's the finances. I think location is a big one too. You have to be able to get trucks there. How's the access? Um, are there trades in this particular area that you're flipping or, or, or doing the work? Um, you know, you could find a great hoarder house in like rural, in our case, rural Ontario, but if you don't have people there that can do, you know, roofing and siding and electrical and so on, then you can't get to the end of the finish line. The deal breaker for us wouldn't be the house itself. It's the way that we can bring it into transformation uh, more so. Okay, that's great. Um, when it comes to hoarder properties, have you noticed there's a correlation between surface level issues like disorganization and more serious issues like black mold or water damage? Yeah, so... <laughs> Again, this this kind of goes back to how do we see behind how do we see behind walls? How do we see behind stuff? So um, I mentioned look with your nose. That that's oftentimes a big one. You go into these places and they stink, uh, like all kinds of different things. So you have to be able to discern: is that the smell of mold or moisture? Is that the smell of because uh, garbage is easy, but mold is not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like everything everything comes at a cost. So for me. I say, okay, what does this particular odor smell like? <laughs> and then from there, what is this going to cost based on what I think the repairs may be, right? So so for us, that's how we see behind walls is usually look with our nose. Yeah, interesting. So, okay, uh, what are the most common things that need to be fixed? Like like if you if you pull out a checklist, I'm sure that checklist is is a long one, but what would be <laughs> the most common thing that, okay, yeah, we got to do this? bathrooms. Really? I am big on bathrooms. I I am all about reuse, repurpose. I will pull things out of dumpsters and clean them up and style the house with them or take something and paint it up and it's a new cabinet. But the bathroom, I am always take it out. I will keep a kitchen cabinet. In the first episode, you can see that we did that. We kept the kitchen cabinets. We cleaned them up. They look beautiful. And, but the bathrooms, I don't even have to look at them. And I can already tell Ryan, I'm not keeping any of it. <laughs> I always want a new bathroom because that's what I would want. I would want a brand new toilet, a brand new shower, a brand new tub. Um, and so that's the, the, the big thing for me is bathrooms. Mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, okay. Let's, let's, keep on uh, focused on this journey. Now, let's say that you've gone through the sale and we're talking about what's next. What's the first thing you tackle once you've purchased the home and walk through the front door? Uh, again, you guys probably have a, a formula that you use uh, for success. So what is that next step once the check's been handed over and, and Ryan and Kiki, here are the keys to your new hoarder house that you're about to flip? Or fix first before you flip, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we empty it out. That's the next step. So we go in, we well, find out. I'd say first we run around to see what we have going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, you know, how many bedrooms, how many bathrooms, what's the kitchen look like? What can I keep and what needs to be tossed? So we kind of do a surface level kind of you know, look about everywhere to see, okay, I know I can keep this. I know I can keep this. I know this has to go. So we sort of do a quick analysis of what needs to stay, what needs to go. Are we tearing anything out? Are we keeping existing? And then comes the big clean out because then we need to tell the team who's cleaning out, right? you know, keep this, don't keep this and do it fast. Okay. So that kind of leads me to my follow-up then. And you guys kind of touched on it yesterday that you, you salvage what you can, right? But 
your mind expectations when you walk in there, is there assumption that it's usually going to be a total gut job in your, in your heads? Is that what you're kind of thinking like most of the time or is it kind of hit and miss? We're not about guts uh, unless we have to. Right. Um, that being said, uh, cost for one. Um, and two, because we like reusing and repurposing and keeping things out of landfills as much as we can. Um, why rip out a perfectly good kitchen when it's solid wood and it's functional and we can update it with appliances and plumbing and fixtures? So, um, yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I mean, we've done lots of rentals where it's, you know, take the walls down, put in steel beams, restructure the house, straighten it up if it's crooked or burnt or, or whatever. Um, like we've done lots of that, but not every house requires such a substantial renovation to the point that you're doing these things. Uh, one of the things that we're really big on right now is closed concept. Uh, a lot of people are going open concept. We like closed concept. I think for a lot of the homes that were built pre-1980s, um, you already have that closed concept feel. And with people working from home, Keek's been really good at decorating and designing such that when you break up the house or maintain that layout, it traps sound, right? It's quiet. Everybody has their own space, their own little nook. You can work from home and it's a lot easier with a family. So we do try to keep close concept where possible too. I design with a more traditional style, which is more formal, which has a formal living room, which has a formal dining room, mm. which has a formal sitting space. And I like designing in that, you know, old, old charm aspect. And so these houses uh, oftentimes have already a close concept. Um, and we don't need to tear down a wall because it goes with our style already. And we like it closed in um, rather than uh, creating a more, you know, one space family dynamic. We are closing it up and people are liking that because they're all working from home now. In your experience, what has been the biggest bang for your buck in terms of profit? Tell us about an experience that you've had with that. Brian's the numbers guy. I make it pretty. So (laughs) there's a general rule of thumb that I live by kitchen, bath, flooring, paint is what makes money in real estate. Uh, That's the eye candy. That's what people see. That's the biggest bang for your buck. There's no permits typically required for kitchen, bath, flooring, paint, you know, generally speaking, um, which means you can execute that uh, quite quickly. Um, People buy based on what they see. They buy based on what they smell. People spend most of their time in uh, you know, seeing the flooring or spending their time using the bathroom or with their family in the kitchen. So again, kitchen, bath, flooring, paint, that's typically the go-to and that's the best bang for your buck. Interesting. Okay. Let's continue with the renovations there, uh, Ryan. Then what are some of the best sources of value then when, when you are doing your renovation then? Yeah. I mean, again, kitchen, bath, flooring, paint, that's really where it drives home. So with a kitchen, I mean, you can make it beautiful, uh, quartz countertops, laminate countertops, new cabinets, paint the cabinets, um, uh, marble floors, porcelain floors, uh, same vinyl throughout, you know, like you can do all these different things um, to really make that pop. Obviously, fixtures are really important. So, you know, you can touch on the design side there, but um, in terms of flooring, new flooring throughout, something that matches the entire house with no transition strips. I really like that. It makes it feel like one level space, right? It makes it feel like the renovation wasn't broken up into multiple pieces. Uh, in terms of bathrooms, like we've done really beautiful bathrooms with, you know, porcelain, everything and, and glass and, you know, gorgeous. Uh, we've also done really simple bathrooms with sheet vinyl floors and, and builder grade tile. It just depends on, on who your target market is. Right. And if you're trying to make it perfect and beautiful, or if you're just trying to make it done, it's a very, if it's a very different way to think, depending on how you're going to resell that house. And we also try to elevate spaces uh, in a really 
I want to say modest way, but beautiful way. So example, again, with the Springbrook house, we kept the cabinets. We didn't rip them out and we didn't put these brand new state-of-the-art cabinets, but we did put in a quartz countertop. And instead of just a silver stainless steel sink, we put in a gold sink. So we elevate the spaces mm -hmm. in a really beautiful way, but we don't you know, break the bank doing it either. We do it in the simple ways, like your hardware, like your fixtures, um, and rather than ripping and gutting. Yeah, You know, I like what you just said there, Kiki, because it leads me into uh, my next question here, and it's about saving money. Because a lot of people that are listening to this podcast and and kind of uh, getting some ideas and, and watching the show going, okay, where where can I save money on renovations? Where, where are some of the ideas where, okay, I know, I know, Certain things of the renovation are going to cost substantially more, but there's got to be ways of saving some money. Where are some of those type of shortcuts that you guys have kind of witnessed where it's like, you know what, we can get away with this and it's still very good quality as well? Well, one of the things that we've heard feedback wise um, from uh, a viewer, which was really exciting, was what we did with Springbrook. They loved it and thought it was beautiful, but it was also achievable to them. Like they could do it. And I thought that was a really beautiful compliment mm -hmm. um, that we can create something and show the audience something that's also achievable to them. So example, painting your kitchen rather than feeling like you need to spend, you know, $20,000 on new cabinets, you can paint it. You can, we put in trim on the walls. So you take uh, an ordinary wall and you put really, you know, simple trim on, but the right choice of trim, we've now turned it into a traditional English style, um, changing your light fixtures. You don't have to go for the most expensive light fixtures. Oftentimes I will buy mine from the big box stores and wait for sales and they look beautiful. It's the choice that you make, right? So you can get something for a hundred dollars or spend maybe an extra hundred, but the statement that the extra hundred dollar one makes is so much bigger than the hundred dollar, the $100 one versus mm -hmm. the $200 one. Um, small upgrades will really affect it. Uh, light fixtures, your hardware. So like your, your kitchen cabinet poles and knobs, that changes the kitchen completely. So you can look dated uh, with, you know, something that looks from the 80s and it's worn out or you replace them for, let's say, you know, you can go $3 to $12 on a piece of um, drawer pole. So it depends where you are, but you can modern, modernize your whole kitchen with just drawer poles and painting the cabinets. So there's small ways that you can tweak a room without breaking the bank. Also, buy secondhand. You don't have to buy brand new. I love repurposing and reusing. Go online, go on your social media marketplaces, and you can buy beautiful light fixtures at half the cost and put that up in your in your house. Great suggestions. I'm sure the realtors are listening to this and cluing in on this and that and the other thing. Uh, we just had our kitchen painted this year, and uh, we've been in our house 18 years our kitchen was perfectly fine, but it was just the color and everything was a bit outdated. So we had it painted while we went away for March break. And I just love the look and feel now. So we've done that ourselves. And I think that's a really great suggestion. Perfect. I love hearing that. That's excellent. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I want to ask you about when you pull up in front of a house and realtors really care about this. What are some things you think you can do to increase the curb appeal of a house? Mm. Curb appeal. So important. Front door. Front door. Love it. 
light fixtures. So the lighting, uh, usually sconces, um, landscaping, of course. And a big one that Ryan likes to do is actually paint the driveway. Oh, I do. Okay. I wasn't sure what you were going to say. <laughs> I was concerned for a minute. What do I like to do? What do I, what do I not know about myself? <laughs> yeah. Uh, blacktop in the driveway is huge. You can do that really, really inexpensively. Like a typical three-car driveway, uh, three, 400 bucks, you know? And if it's in reasonable shape and you get a nice black, crisp driveway when you're done with nice clean edges, it'll change what used to be like this crappy faded, you know, old gray driveway into something that's, that's spectacular. And you know what? Also too, if you use, this is like, like a, a little trick that I learned over the years. If you use a latex product from the big box stores, it doesn't bond to the driveways as well. And it doesn't cover up oil stains, but if you use a professional oil-based product, right, which is the same cost, it will hide the oil stains from like from vehicles and it'll blend it all in and the driveway will look awesome. Also, you said a really good point, clean edges. So mm. clean edges along the driveway, clean edges along the garden beds, just clean edges. It's, mm -hmm. it's not a crazy big thing to do, but it sets the tone. If you have clean edges outside, people just uh, subconsciously feel like there's clean edging inside. It's groomed. It's manicured. Yeah. It's the first thing you see. Not a, not a word of a lie, Ryan. I just wrote down oil-based product for driveway because I'm in the midst of doing this myself. Yes. <laughs> and, you, and you literally, okay. I was like, I got to remember this because I, 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 nice. like I like to double check this, but I also like to make my notes as well. So that is an awesome tip. <laughs> awesome tip. Okay. Perfect. Let me ask you this then. So, and I, and I have a lot of friends, a lot of couples, a lot of married couples, and, and we see it in the real estate world a lot uh, husband and wife combinations uh fantastic teams uh, you know you helping out working but not only are they working together they're married together what is it like working together as a married couple in in the in the flipping industry do i i i i, I feel a good vibe here between the two of you but what is it really like when when the two of you are in the middle of uh you know what in in a, in a house we've learned that the biggest uh, key to our success of working in the same, you know, as a team is working not necessarily together, but alongside each other. And by that, I mean, stay in our lanes. <laughs> <laughs> so he is the numbers. He is the math. He understands what we can and can't do. And I understand design and style and visual appeal. And you know, if we try to cross into each other's <laughs> lanes, that's when we butt heads because we're both professionals in our own spaces. And it's very easy for us to cross, you know, into the other lane because we are together 24 seven. Um, but we do best when we are alongside each other. So I actually work with the contractor, let's say, to pick out things and to, to tell them, okay, we're, the, we're here, we're there, we're going to do this. Okay, this is the timeline. I don't necessarily do that with Ryan. So it does create the perfect amount of space that we are together, but we're not, we're alongside each other. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh, final piece of advice that you can share to realtors who are either listing or bringing their clients to view a hoarder property. What sort of advice could you give them? I believe that one of the biggest things a realtor should be able to do is speak four languages, real estate, construction, finance, and design. If you can go into a house and you can clearly articulate that to your, to your buyer, in this case, um, how this project should go or may go, I think you'll get the sale. 
right? Obviously, you still have to compete sometimes with other bids and so on and so forth. But again, real estate, construction, finance, and design. If you can articulate those things, that's how you win. Very interesting. Very interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, Hoarder House Flippers, uh, for our listeners that haven't checked it out yet, uh, where can they watch the show and, and give us some details about uh, uh, what channels and, and everything like that uh, in case they missed it off the top? <laughs> yeah. Well, the last episode is this week. So it is Thursday at 8 p.m. on HGTV Canada. You can also catch it on Stack TV, which is on Prime. So it'll be on demand on Stack TV. Mm-hmm. And there will be reruns afterwards. So the last episode is airing this week. That's the one that Ryan and I are on. We're very excited about it. How about that? I know. (laughs) But we are also very excited to say that we've been renewed for a second season. So we are on the hunt for hoarder houses. So please contact us. (laughs) (laughs) Any realtors out there with all the best, nastiest, grossest hoarder houses, we're uh, we're down. We're interested. Guys, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Best of luck on wrapping up this season. And we look forward to the following season. And uh, thanks for spending some time with us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Before we go, I want to remind you that all ARIA members and their families have access to LifeWorks a well-being solution that provides users with 24-7 access to counselors, specialists, and self-guided resources for dealing with all of life's moments. Visit aria.com forward slash LifeWorks for more information and to access the service. And I have some exciting news to share. Aria's Reality Plus Conference is coming to Toronto in November 2022, and you won't want to miss it. It is going to be the only conference of its kind bringing together the greatest minds in real estate, politics, and marketing all on one stage. And you won't believe the speakers we have lined up. Pre-register now for the event everyone will be talking about at realityconference.ca. And finally, don't forget to check out realheart.ca to read the inspiring stories of realtors giving back to their communities and to share your story. That's realheart.ca. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Real Estate Edition podcast. My name is David Bastel. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, and we'll talk to you again soon. Visit aria.com slash podcast for more information, links, and a full list of our episodes to date. New episodes are out the second Tuesday of every month. Hey.